it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. 24-7 Comedy Radio. Thing sucks. Step out of that shit like a homeless man trying to change his life. We do it so fresh, and we do what the fuck we want to do. Yo, me and E, we get dumb results. All right, everyone, welcome to the green room. We're doing it live here on ShantiGreen.com, presented by our good friends over at 247Comedy.com. Make sure you uh, you check out 247comedy.com. You can get the iHeartRadio app. You can check out their station on there, number one stand-up comedy. You can get comedy 24-7. And, of course, the show is being brought to you today by Amazon. And it's uh, pretty easy. You go to SeanTGreen.com, click the Amazon link. Not too late to get a uh, Mother's Day gift. I know you're, you're hearing this. It's a Friday. You're thinking, oh, my God, I can't do it. You can get some last-minute overnight shipping, of course. Get your, you can get your mom a gift card. What, uh, what's, what, what, uh, you know? Yeah, sure, it's a little impersonal, but hey, you waited the last minute. That's what you get. All right, I'd like to welcome on our guest for the evening and uh, for this podcast, the lovely uh, Lana Turner. Lana, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, appreciate it. All right, so <laughs> let's get into it. Um, now, I, I you. I think we were introduced. Um, you had a uh, your publicist, um, Kylie. She yeah. also works with uh, Danny Labelle. We had Danny on. He was a super hilarious guy. Right on. Yeah, Kylie's been helping me out, and yeah, it's cool. Helping helping you out, getting yeah. your uh, getting things moving out She's here in Los sweetheart. Angeles. Yeah. Now I, I was uh, I was checking your stuff out online, and uh, of course went to the went to the website, checking it out there, and I was like, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I take a look at the CD, and um, for those of you who haven't been to the website yet, it's uh, LanaTurner.com, but you have a, a very provocative uh, CD cover where you're. You're basically uh, not wearing any clothes. I'm wearing pigtails, yes, you're cowboy wearing- boots, and a tastefully placed <laughs> or carefully placed microphone in front of lips that um, I that aren't the ones I'm talking with now. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. The name of the album, "If These Lips Could Talk," it's a uh, yeah. It's funny, like it's you know when I when I first had the idea for the album cover, I was like, oh, it'd be great. I just I had this vision. I'll be wearing like a skirt and hold the microphone. Like in front of my area and be like, ah, make a funny face. And exactly. my husband was like, no, no, you gotta just, if you're gonna do that, you gotta go for it. So I took the photo and I, the photo is so funny that, and I just, I just couldn't not commit to it. And so I just did it. And it, yeah, and it no, gets, it's funny. It gets you look, uh, yeah, you look very good. Got my, Thank got you. me clicking around. <laughs> I was like, All right. Uh, yeah. I, sure. Sex sells. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's funny because I, you know, I put that some, when I go to a club, I'll put it up on a poster, I'll put it out on flyers, and and it'll get people interested. Like, I feel like people see that and go, "Well, what kind of train wreck is willing to do this shit?" <laughs> I'm gonna go and see that show, and then I deliver a great show, and people are happy. But it definitely gets people's attention, which I think it's so hard to get people's attention. You know? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah I mean, I I feel like I could probably go naked in front of uh, something and it would get attention but it would not be it's not people looking Might not to follow be positive <laughs> yeah it no, would be uh, you know i mean there'd be a couple uh, i did um now this is weird living out in los angeles i i'd never gotten hit on um really or i don't think so sincerely by a gay guy and i had that i was riding my bike around the area and uh these two i mean seemingly very effeminate gay um latin teenagers <laughs> go like hey baby and they yelled it out at me and i was i was you know 
know, I turned bright red with embarrassment. But then part of me was just also like, I honestly couldn't tell if these guys were just doing it sarcastically or were they actually kind of like playfully trying to flirt with me. I was the the rest of the bike ride home. I was just like, should I learn to take a compliment or were those two guys just screwing? Oh, no, I think it was probably you should take it as a compliment. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I should take it as a compliment. But it was I was just taken back and. uh yeah, it was just I turned like bright red with embarrassment, and uh, yeah, you know, it's I, living in Los Angeles. You think, yeah, I don't know. I I, I think generally gay guys they're not that forward, and I, what? I, well, at least with a guy like me, I, I don't know. Like I feel like I I put out a, a pretty straight vibe, or mm-hmm. I, I feel like gay guys realize that I'm probably not gay. So I, I don't feel like I. I mean, I know I don't get hit on a lot by gay guys. Not that I'm not that I'm looking to, but okay. So I mean, maybe you're not. Putting out the, you're not in the place to have it happen. I'm pretty sure if you were in a in a, in a that's true in the setting, you would get hit on. That is true. Yeah, I guess I, actually in a gay bar, gay guys would be much more aggressive, right? I mean, you know, I don't know what I'd be called. Maybe like a small bear, perhaps a cub. You know, would maybe. you? Are you a cub? I don't know. I'm not. Are, I'm you, not, are you furry? I'm a hairy guy. Yeah, hairy? so a lot of chest hair. <laughs> it was interesting. Like, but you I, have to be you have to be chubby to be a bear, right? Yeah, I'm not really. Yeah, I'm not really not. pulling off chubby. No, you have to be a big guy. So no, you wouldn't be. You wouldn't be. I, I don't think a bear would be. What, I don't know what qualif. What what what? Yeah, I, I would just be like a uh, run of the mill. You'd be a top. Okay. Yeah, Maybe, that, I'll right? take that. Okay. Make my old man proud. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Lana, now um, let's see. Are you? I know you said um, before we started the podcast up. You were saying that you're you're splitting time between living out in Los Angeles and uh, having a place in Nashville. Now, was Nashville somewhere you grew up? No. Um, my husband and I. Well. Do you know my husband's a comedian? Your, as well? your husband's, husband's Ralphie uh, May. Ralphie May so Ralphie and I have been together for like 14 years, and oh, um, wow. we bought our house in Los Angeles roughly like oh God, it's, I think it's maybe seven years ago, and it was it was uh, the type of house that at the time was in a it's a great area, but it was the only thing we could afford, and we didn't want to move way outside of town, so we bought this house that everybody who went in it walked like opened the front door and walked out because. <laughs> It was like literally there were holes in the in the floor and fixer in the ceiling, very much so. And but the thing is, is we were dumb enough to think it wasn't a big deal to fix a house in LA. Oh, sure, <laughs> you can fix, you can move a bathroom. What's the big deal? And so, um, when we started the process of you know renovating, we realized just to rent a decent apartment in town was more than a mortgage payment in Nashville. And we tour so much, especially Ralphie's a road animal. He doesn't have to be based out of LA. And Nashville's a hot entertainment town too, and it has a lot of great things to offer. So we just decided, let's see what we can find in Nashville. So when we went to renovate our house here, we put a down payment on a very cool house there, and we make up our payments through actually not living here. We have operate his business out of Tennessee and Oh wow, he, yeah, I mean that definitely makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if I was or yeah, I mean obviously it helps to be out in LA to kind of do obviously the LA stuff, but if you're if you're more established and you you're just you're just out there doing a ton of road work, why not base yourself somewhere out of like, oh, you can get uh, some land, right. a nice place. You gotta, yeah, I mean, uh, God, our house there was less expensive than our renovation was here. Oh wow. Yeah. Now, what part of what part of town house. do you live here in Los Angeles? Or um, what, in Laurel Canyon, okay. which is lovely. Like the house we bought is amazing. I mean, it's not a big house, but it right. it the, it's on a like on a cold 
cul-de-sac and it's got an incredible view. But literally, we had to take it down to the studs to fix it. Everything inside of it was oh, wrong. Wow. But it was now that it's done. It's people walk in and just like their jaws drop. It's beautiful, and we 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 fixed it up at the perfect time, and we just it it, it couldn't be better. And I and I like being here in LA right now. Now it's good you for me. um, I know you guys have a. I think on the site it said you guys have a couple kids. We have two kids. Two kids. Yeah. Keep me busy. now. Where um, ha, like what do you do? What's the kids like? I mean, I, I, that's a that's an awful question, but I mean, like, what's the uh, schedule as far as like, do you take them on the road? Do you, you know, mainly have them in Los Angeles? How do you how do you juggle the kids? People always ask me, like, it's it's hard because it just I, seems like a ton of work. I am the luckiest comedian, especially as far as females go in my business. I, I am so lucky because I've been able to um, to have babies and continue doing stand up. Mostly because a lot of people, you know, you have a baby and it's so hard. You've got to kind of like put your career on the back burner. I definitely feel like oh, yeah. the last few years I've had to like decrease the heat on my career mm-hmm. just because I've had a lot of, you know, it's a lot of work, like you said, but I take them with me everywhere. Oh, wow. I've never left them, but maybe for a couple of nights with grandma and grandpa because it's just something I, I just wouldn't know how to do that. And so, um, we had a nanny all last year. And we've had nannies on and off. Um, and when we don't have a nanny, and at times we've been in a, we've been, if I'm working by myself, I have to have somebody. Um, if I'm working with Ralphie, there's been a few times where we just didn't have somebody, but the, we bring the kids on stage. So like, oh, but, wow, that's yeah, cool. and they love it. There's been, you know, people have seen us. It's a special treat when we bring the kids out. They, they freak out because I'll go up and open for him and then, and then the kids will come up with him and then they'll leave with me and the kids love it and the audience gets a kick out of it. But that's rare. Now, most of the time we have somebody with us and the kids stay at a hotel and, and because Ralphie does very well, I've been able to afford to be able to keep myself going because I'm not looking to make a huge profit. By the time I pay my nanny, pay the additional travel Jeez, expenses yeah. in the hotel, um, I sell product. I pretty much, I'll walk out of a gig with a, you know, a couple hundred bucks at the end of the week. And right. it's not enough. If I had to support myself 100%, I wouldn't be able to do it not well. So I, I'm really lucky because he's, he's Oh yeah. I mean, that sounds, it. sounds like a, a My, great situation. I mean, it, it does seem, I mean, yeah, it's a totally unique situation. I know for myself from dating female comedians, there's always like this, it's like this double-edged sword where they're like, oh my God, there's so much, there's so many cool things that are like, oh wow, we can share that. But then there's so many other aspects where it's just like, oh yeah, she's also a comedian. How did you guys, how did you guys end up meeting? How, how did it, uh, how did it work out so well? For I you love guys? that you use that word double-edged sword because I use that all the time to describe my relationship with Ralphie comedically. Um, as far as, okay, so he's been doing stand-up almost double the t- length I've, I've been doing comedy like, the first time I got on stage was roughly almost 14 years ago. Ralphie has been doing it over 20 years. So yeah. there's two completely different, you know, d- levels of development there. I mean, because you know, every year you're in, it, can, it changes things. So, um, so there's no competition. And that's a problem. I think sometimes when people are too close in comedy age, it becomes awkward. Yeah. Or like, yeah, I know what you mean by that. But because especially where I'm at, you end up dating. Uh, girls or female comedians that are literally my peers because we end up doing the same we're doing the same gigs out here right. in Los Angeles so it kind of works out like that it can be really hard and you know I never wanted to date a comic like I just thought right. comics were disgusting and when I met 
<laughs> we I generally met, are. Yeah, no, it's it's not something I never wanted to date inside the 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 pool. Like, and it was the last thing I wanted to do. In fact, and I started in Houston, so becoming friends with people, I cautiously became friends with a number of comics. But becoming friends with Ralphie, there was no way in hell that I ever thought I would date him. I'm I'm active, and he was upward. He was like literally almost like eight hundred eight hundred pounds back then. Yeah. He was extraordinarily big. So the idea of ever dating him just never even crossed my mind when I first met him. And literally six months after we met, we were dating. Wow. And and so now, yeah, what is what happened in that? I mean, obviously, you're hanging out with him. You're watching him do comedy. Was there like a moment when you realized, oh, my God, I'm I'm getting into Ralphie. Like, I'm falling for this guy. It was Do you remember? 14 years ago. So I didn't know he was a comedian when I first met him. He, I missed, I went to an open mic and I missed his, his time on stage. His, he went up early and I got in there kind of late. Um, and I met him there and he gave me his pager number. <laughs> and, uh, I, I just, there's something about him I just liked immediately. We just kind of like, he made me laugh a little bit right there. And, um, so I thought, well, and he, he, he basically said, if you want to do comedy, give me a call. So it was more of a, you know, I I can be your I've friend. Used that, I've used that line a couple Have times. Have you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, he, you want to come over and do some so writing? We'll get together and come. I don't. Well, think- no, I mean honestly, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to jump oh, on your story, but no. yeah, when you're when you're meeting other female comedians, there definitely is that thing of like, oh, she's a funny, cool chick, and hey, you know, if something else happens, that's fine too. But worst case, you're still hanging out with a funny, cool chick. That's that's a sweet way to put it. I. I actually, I, you'd have to ask Ralphie this, and I'm, sh- I, I don't think he was hitting on me at all because, I mean, this is gonna sound horrible to say, and Ralphie, I find him to be an extremely attractive and very sexy man, but upon meeting each other the first time, you don't, I, I saw 800 pounds and he saw me as somebody that he probably wasn't gonna date. I don't know yeah. for sure. You'd, I, it's a conversation he and I really haven't had. I'm sure he, in the back of his mind, he might, he's a guy, so he might have been thinking, but guys I really, are, guys are, you know, perpetually I, optimistic, but right? yeah. I, I really think he gave me his number because he, I, I killed it. Like I had an incredible open mic and, and back then even more so than now for women, Especially in Houston, it was not an embracing environment. So I think he saw somebody that had a, a unique talent and wanted to make sure that it that I was okay. Like I don't know, he was he's he's really sweet. Yeah, he, that way. He, I mean, I get the vibe that he's a sweet guy, really and sweet. just from just from uh, you know seeing him do comedy or hearing him on interviews, he definitely does seem like a big you know kind of teddy bear. Yeah. Now, when did you you, you mentioned the, the weight? Obviously, it's um, you know a factor. But when did you see yourself kind of getting past that? Was there anything in particular, or was there yeah, was there a moment where you where you kind of like saw something more to him? Yeah, it was funny because he was going back and forth between LA and Houston. It was really during um like a six month window that he and I were talking on the phone a lot. Um. And I, I would go, I mean, I was sort of like lightly going out on dates. My mom even tried to set me up with her gynecologist. Like it was like <laughs> crazy stuff because she wanted me to date a Jewish doctor. No, no, that's a, that's, I mean, that almost just seems like the punchline of a, of a stock joke. Like, I know, but it was and my true. my mom set me up with a, and now. <laughs> so I call Ralphie up I, and we'd, we'd just laugh about everything. And I'd be on the phone with him and he made me laugh harder than anyone else ever had. And I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'd hang up the phone and I'd start to think, you know what? The only reason why I'm not giving this guy a chance is because of his weight, and that's really shallow. And and then my mind would wander to other things like, what is sexy? What are we supposed to be attracted to? Because I think it's very programmed into us. I mean, back in the day, that extra weight meant that he was like the hot one with the wealth, you know? That's, yeah. That's the ladies' man right yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. So, um, <laughs> so I just found myself sort of trying to get over the 
the stigma and then, um, and then as crazy and sweet, I don't want to sound like grossly sweet, but we, I, I came out to LA and, and we kissed and that's like the best kiss of my life. And there's still great kisses. And we've been married for seven years and been together 14 years. And I love him. Like it's, it's, unique. wow, that's, uh, that is really, that's really sweet. Yeah. Okay, so it's now, too sweet, right? No, it's too no, sticky no. sweet. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, and blah. Yeah, that's, and, he, and we fucking hate each other. <laughs> Pooey. Well, do you ever? I mean, you sound like you. I mean, you're married. It sounds like things are going great. You, as you said, you got a couple uh, nice places. Yeah, you got two lucky. kids. Do you feel? Do you ever worry? I mean, you know, comedians always kind of get in their own head with kind of stuff like this. Of like, oh my god, I'm too happy. I'm not going to be edgier enough, or oh, not, I don't. I don't have a lot of pain that I'm not going to be. Life doesn't able to- let you do that. Right. No way. Like it doesn't matter what. You know, I. I didn't get into this business to make money. When I met him, I figured we'd be making a school teacher salary mm-hmm. or better, which is amazing to think about because, you know, an, a hard road working comedian that just gets out on the road and sells t-shirts and sells jokes at B rooms and D rooms and C rooms and whatever makes more than a, t- than a school teacher. And so yeah. I always figured, you know what, if we ever got around to having kids, we would live in Bohonk, wherever, and we would be comedians. And that, I, that's all I really wanted because that's, that's what made me feel good and happy. So, um, the fact that we've been able to be more financially secure is truly a blessing, but that can go away at any, at any moment. And I really had that heart awakening only a few months ago at the end of last year. Ralph got super sick, like hospitalized, almost died, um, pulmonary embolisms, two types of pneumonia, Jeez, double what, uh... bi- bilateral pneumonia, like both lungs were collapsing, like just literally like got to the hospital with, with before these, these clots went through his lungs and they got him on the, the proper, um, like the heparin drip, the blood thinner. Bef- otherwise those clots would have killed him. Like, and wow. there happened to be a pulmonologist in, in the ICU unit who happened to be like able to get in there just in the time I watched those clots go through his lungs. And oh, it was man. fucking unbelievably scary. And, you know, because of his size and, and his health, he didn't have life insurance. So while I slept on that like little uncomfortable chair next to him in that hospital, I just did the math in my head because his chances of walking out of there was 30% as of the first night. And I, I started to realize how many months I had before I lost everything that we had financially built together and having two small children, what I was going to have to do. I was having to make a plan in my head. I was going to have to move back real close to my parents. And it was really scary. Yeah. So oh, I, mean, I can imagine. I mean, just scary seeing your husband like in that condition and yeah, I mean, going through all these all these kind of uh, crazy scenarios in your head. Yeah. Now, but as far as comedy goes, I mean, funny shit happens right. all the time. And right. So, yeah. I mean, it, I was kind of playing devil's advocate with. No, the idea I get of, it like, though. <laughs> I get it. You know, I think I, I think we're all like a little fucked up enough in our perspective in life that it just lends its way to jokes. Now, um, how is how is Ralphie's health doing? How is he doing since then? Um, he's getting better. You know. Um, it's it, like every day there's new developments for him. So, you know, he's getting there. He's definitely better than he was. It's been what, like seven, eight months. Oh, okay. So really it took our, it took the wind out of my sail. Like oh, big I time can back then. Yeah. Yeah. Any kind, of, long. any kind of scary health things like that. So let's, let's rewind a little bit. How did you get in this situation of, of being a comedian to begin with? Now you said you didn't grow up in Nashville. What, oh, what part of the country did you grow up? I was born in Canada and raised in Texas. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, do you, uh, do you get noticed for your accent a lot? 
Do I have an accent? I thought just a little, a little bit. bit. I, it was something different. I didn't pick up that it was like Canadian. It howdy, was, a yeah. Because I got the Texas Canadian. Yeah. I can say y'all and you guys all in the same sentence. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got the whole North American thing uh, put together there. Yeah, I got it all. I, um, so you grew up in Canada. Grew up how in long? Canada how long were you in Canada? To like puberty, and then we moved to Texas. <laughs> wow, I had that's a terrible be... puberty, and so that's why it stands <laughs> out in my mind. But then, yeah, we moved to Texas. Puberty is normally tough for everyone, but I imagine oh, going to Canada, Texas. I was the stinky smell. Girl, do you remember oh, her? Oh no! Yeah, the one in the one in junior high that was like, yeah, and nobody helped her through puberty. That was oh. me, like with the hairy armpits and the bo. Oh. That was me. So I feel bad. No, it's okay. It's a- <laughs> no, I feel bad for you, and then I also feel bad for things you say as a young kid. I mean, I, I got made oh, fun of a ton too. So. <laughs> But, I mean, oh, it's, you, it's you would have made fun of me. <laughs> no, but I, um, I made fun of some kids, but I took a lot of crap too. I felt like karmically, as far as messing with people and getting messed with, I'm pretty much a push. Uh-huh. I feel I feel fine with that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, girls can be really vicious with that kind of stuff. Guys it inevitably just gets physical, and they seem to move over, you know, kind of move on. But women can be really. I was just so awkward. You know, we went from this Canadian environment where I mean, children were. I, it was very innocent in where, where I was. And then into this, like, outside of Houston junior high school where there were, like, kids with drug problems and sexually active girls. And I, I just, I did not, I didn't, I didn't know where I was. I mean, I went from, like, I was still playing with dolls and they were, like, wearing bras. Lacy <laughs> so you were, bras. Go, you were coming from, like, a simple Canadian household, like, hey, go out there and get the syrup, eh? Okay. That type of thing. Yeah. Yes, kinda. Pa. Yes, mom. And then yeah. you go to this, Fast-paced, uh, you know, fast times at Ridgemont High outside of Houston. Couple, of, you know, guys rich off oil. They're giving their daughters whatever Not they quite, want. But yeah, I mean, it was just such a biz- like a transition, and I guess nobody had time to explain to me that you have to shave your armpits and put on deodorant. So I was just that like awkward kid and. So, anyways, that was a huge tangent, but I I started no, comedy no, in Houston. Well, I mean, because uh, like you said, uh, you know, we're all kind of messed up a little bit. I, I mean, <laughs> I know just from reviewing my own past, I think I developed my sense of humor from moved around a little bit as a kid, and then didn't you know went to a lot of a couple different schools here and there. So it was always easy to immediately kind of be accepted if you came in and started wisecracking. So, oh, that's cool. I, I think that's kind of why I developed a. You know, a need to make people laugh and a real enjoyment out of making people laugh. Did you feel that at all? Like, do, were you were you a funny person in high school? I with my immediate friends, but I was extraordinarily introverted. <laughs> I was very shy, so a lot of the people who knew me growing up wouldn't have expected me to be doing stand up at all. Yeah, because and, you were you were real quiet in high school. Oh, yeah. I mean, not like not with the people that I knew. Like, I have, I still my best friends are from high school, not from college. I, I still keep up with this little group of girls, and. uh so, yeah, but after, I, I, I wouldn't know. I was the kid that would not read in class. You know, like when they go around the room and, and or there was class participation, you'd have to talk in front of the room. I would not. I would rather be sent to the principal's office than raise my hand. And, and, so you had a real you had a real fear of public speaking? I don't know. I just didn't want to. Um, I just, I hated school. I hated it. I hated it for years. I, I, I just wasn't. I'm, and I wouldn't say I was a bad student, but I just couldn't wait to get out of school. And um, I did go to college. Okay, so yeah, so. well, you, you're you're dying to break out of high school because yeah. you don't like going to school. No, but you still went to college. Where did yeah. you go to school? My parents, my it, it was there wasn't a choice for me to go to college, which is wonderful. My parents provided that for me, and I mean, I grew up you know upper middle class, and my dad worked his whole life to make sure his him, me and my sister could could get a college degree, which is awesome. And it broke his heart that I didn't want to fucking use the degree. <laughs> exactly. He's like, okay, my, but um, 
But yeah, I went to two colleges. I went to a small, really small private school. And, and you know what? And, um, th- this is so lame. Like, um, this isn't funny, real. I'm sure there's humor in it, but, um, I, I had, was diagnosed LD, like, I was learning disabled at an early age with a dyslexia and all that fun stuff, which when I hear it now, I'm like, ah, it just sounds like bullshit. But, yeah. And, and, yeah, I think people there, uh, rub some dirt on it or something like right, that. Right. I don't know. But I, um, I went to a small school that kind of helped, like, ease into college and I hated that school. It was, I loved the town. It was in the small, um, Texas town called Kerrville. So, so this was kind of, uh, like a community college? No, it was, or- a, it was a, just a private school called oh, Shriner. Okay. It was a small college and it was really beautiful there. And, um, but I hated it so much. And then the next year I went to like the biggest state school ever, which was, uh, in San Marcos called Texas State University. Oh, okay. And, um, I graduated from there and I liked that school better, but I hated, I hated school. Like, and I actually, I had a unique college experience because I, I had been working as a photographer for years, um, a photojournalist. Huh. Yeah, I actually worked my way through college. Like when I graduated college, I had stockpiled a pretty decent chunk of change and traveled for a year. Oh, wow. So now, all right, where does that come in? When did you, when <laughs> do you start snapping photos? Yeah, yeah. How do you, how um, do you get a job? Like, I mean, I feel like most college kids are, Struggling just to get a job at Quiznos. You know, I couldn't get a job at Quiznos. Really? And it was yeah, funny, I had that like, same experience. I, I couldn't get hired. I wanted I wanted a job like to scoop ice cream because I figured I'd eat it. You know, oh, that sounds fun. Right, and and I couldn't get a job anywhere, and so I had been on my high school newspaper yearbook staff, and um, I was pretty good, you know, at that. And I thought, well, if I can't get a job anywhere else, let me start freelancing. So I started like going to little newspapers in the area and shooting images for them and picking up small checks, and then um, I went to that small school in Kerrville and there was a, a, a like a little newspaper city newspaper and I got hired there basically full time so I was oh, working wow. full time for that newspaper while I was going to that that small school and then that summer after that I was dumb enough to wander into the Associated Press office and meet like this amazing guy that gave me a job working at AP like he oh, basically wow. he basically brought me in there as an intern and so I could clean the floors I could do whatever and so I freelanced while I well, I tailed him and, and watched him and everything. He was amazing. His name was Rick Bomer, which is like awesome. So I went and, and, and shot images. I got a couple of images on the wire service and got oh, to wow. do Oh, wow. So like what kind of places would you travel to? With doing images? Everything. Yeah. Like I, I did – I went to nudist colonies. I went to every sporting event. I, I, we did oh, NBA wow. finals. and Really? What, yeah, uh, boxing, what NBA finals? everything. Uh, 94, I think, or oh, okay. something. Yeah, so that's like the in Bulls, Houston. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was huge. I got to go in the locker room and like. Really? You got to go in the Bulls locker room? Yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. I, I went into all the locker rooms after the games because. Michael Jordan big? They're all, well, and it's so <laughs> embarrassing because I, because I, I had motivation to go in and it wasn't just that. It was actually, um, there, sure, I mean, I have they would have amazing food in the locker rooms after the games. They'd have like milkshakes from, uh, um, Bex Prime, which is like this amazing burger joint in Houston. So I wanted to go in and get milkshakes and get food, but like, like I would see, you know, like Dennis Rodman wouldn't like, how, well, he doesn't care. Like that guy, <laughs> that guy walks around naked anyways. And yeah. then it just, yeah. So I got to go into all the, any, time. any interesting stories from hanging out in the Bulls locker room, 1994? I it, felt like that's a, that was a pretty was crazy a huge time. time. Charles Barkley, uh, talked to me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple seems of those like guys. something Charles Barkley would do. They just stop and said hi and how are you and stuff like that, and it'd just be like, oh my god, Charles <laughs> Barkley just. And like we we had fun. I like me and the other guys in the 
you know, just had fun, like, in the media. It was just a cra- – like, they're crazy, those guys. Oh, yeah. The media – like, sports journalists, especially back in the day, they were just known for getting boozed up, smoking butts, and just, you know, just living this hard road life. Well, and, and the guy – Rick, him, the guy that I work for, I mean, he was, like, been in war zones. He'd been in – he'd been in all kinds of, like, experiences that make – that change you as a person. So, like, just getting to be friends with all these guys was just an amazing thing for me, especially being so young and impressionable and, like – Oh, I, just, I bet. I loved it. And we met Meet all – Rodman? Yeah, I met, all, <laughs> I met everybody to some level. I mean, I used to go to um, like the the football camps, you know, when you and you shoot camp, and then you get to eat with them, you know. So I'd go into the um, like with the Cowboys. They would oh, wow. always do camp up in I think San Antonio. Oh, okay. Yeah, they, they did some in Texas. I think they do it now in uh, Oxnard in California. But do I, they? I, oh, wow. I think, yeah, I think they changed it up. Now they're doing it out in California. But the food was like, ama- like amazing with the, the game with the food. But I mean, when you're broke <laughs> and like taking pictures, you're going to oh, go and sneak. You're going to go in the Bulls locker room to get a freaking cheeseburger because, yeah, and you get to see some crazy shit too. But they're, they're very professional. The thing is, is that like those locker <laughs> rooms, you have to go in there anyways at times. Like there's, there's, there's pictures and there's media there. They have, they go in. Yeah, there. I mean, it seems like every athlete these days hosts a press conference just standing right in front of his locker room. Right. Hey, hey, we went out there, gave it 110 percent, left it all on the court. Right. Hey, we're just getting, we're just taking it one game at a time. We're getting ready for the, <laughs> you know, they're a great opponent. Uh, what can I say? They did a great job. Yeah, sure. There's some other things we would like to get done. We like to crash the boards harder next. <laughs> no, I'm not going to get into that right now. Yeah. That's, that's pretty that's much every press it. conference that I, yeah, I'm a big sports fan, but yeah, it's, it is funny as a sports fan. You're like, Oh, I got to hear what they have to say. And then every time it's just them uh, avoiding the question. And then when they do answer a question, the media just completely grills them for it. Right. Like, oh, hey, uh, Eli Manning, do you think you're an elite quarterback? Uh, yeah, I say I'm an elite quarterback. And then just and then the all media, of a sudden you're an elite How yeah. dare he say he's an elite quarterback? But really, if he said no, and you're a fan of Eli Manning, which I'm not, you would just be totally <laughs> pissed off. Like, what are you doing? You don't think you're good at being a quarterback? You're Eli Manning. That's so funny. I, I was never, um, this is such a crime because I got to be in so many. Let me guess, great you were never a big sports fan. Never a big sports fan. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm a chick. I just never. Re- I mean, I enjoyed what I enjoyed about doing anything that was photography was capturing the image. Right. And it's so, but you have to be a great sports photographer. You have to be passionate about the sport. So, um, I don't think I ever. I'm, I was, I was passable, but I was never a phenomenal sports photographer. But I was really good with emotions and trying to catch like moments and unique things like i i loved documenting stuff so. well that's awesome so you you had this great gig uh, so you graduate college you're <laughs> yeah. you're working for the ap doing images well the the photography you know, the the industry's changed a lot even since then i mean newspapers were folding like crazy and right then was the beginning of newspapers just starting to go out of business and, okay so we're talking so. then like later I, I'm, 90s I'm older now right i don't even know i don't <laughs> want to expose that but yeah it was it was yeah, I, mean, I just remember the summer that I was supposed to graduate college, I was going to start working at um, a newspaper that I'd had great relationship with in Houston. It was a big paper, the Houston Post, and it when it went out of business, I realized, wow, this isn't this isn't good. And then I also had a car wreck around the same time, and I was just life changing. And I, I'd always played guitar my whole life, um, and love playing guitar, love writing songs, and I, I have a knack for writing funny, dirty songs. And um, but I never thought I'd and who who know who knew you could make a living exactly so okay what was there a seminal moment that brought you from doing this wire image gig to getting had you had you done these 
wacky, kind of dirty guitar songs and then finally decided, hey, I'm going to go up on stage and perform them? Or was it just, hey, I want to go do an open mic and then, oh, I'll also write this song? How, how did you actually get your feet wet? Well, I, well, when I graduated college and I, my, the job I was hoping to get wasn't there. Like, I, and a number of other things that happened, that car wreck and a couple, you know, just like life changing things. I, I had saved a lot of money working, um, working doing all those gigs as a photographer and I, I had, a good chunk of change saved up. You know, now it doesn't seem, I'm, I'm impressed I was able to make it last as long as I did, but I took that money and, and for 10 months I went over, went and traveled. Oh, and nice. I, 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 where'd I, you, uh, where'd you travel? Uh, well, I first went to Israel. I, I'm Jewish, but I was never raised very Jewish and my parents wanted me to go and do something like that. So they actually helped me get to Israel and I lived on the kibbutz for like five months. Wow. And then I went to Jordan and Egypt. And then I flew to India, and I went up into Nepal, and then back down into India, and then back home through England. And it was an amazing... <laughs> that changed me a lot. Yeah, and, and how did that change you? Um, just, like, learned a lot about life and, you know... Kind of gained a new kind perspective? Of, yeah, you know, having a fuck-it attitude is a good thing. You don't, you don't really know that until you get out from under that whole, like, being a kid. So... I yeah, kind until of you said, find fuck it, it, I'm free. going to India. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you kind of, you, I don't, I don't know if I've ever ver- verbalized this before, but when you see people living that impoverished, it really changes your perspective as well. I'll tell you, I, I think one of the lowest moments I've ever, I, you'll have your lowest moment and your happiest moment in India. Like you'll see the yeah, worst thing I of your life that. and the prettiest thing of your life all in one day or in the same minute. Like we used to have a lot of range in India. I yeah. get that. Like there was, um, I traveled with a guy who actually, we, we ended up dating, um, really sweet guy, but we, we had this, we were in this one town and we had a debate every day, um, because we went past this one lady who was like out in the street begging. There's a lot of, they're, they're beggars and they, they're always in the same place. And so every day we'd walk past her and every day he'd say he has, she has a nose and I'd say she doesn't have a nose. And he, we would argue that he'd be like, no, no, he's Israeli. No, no. She, she has a nose. There's a nose there. And I'd be like, there's no nose. There's two holes where there'd be a nose. And he'd be like, no, I see that there's a nose. There's a little nose. And I'm like, no, there's holes where there, and it was just like, when you see that, you're like, well, who the fuck cares if I'm going to, if I want to, <laughs> if I can go home and play a guitar, maybe that's what I, maybe, maybe life is short. Puts it in a little perspective, gives you this kind yeah. of attitude of like, hey, I don't need to suck in the world's stress. <laughs> right. I, I, don't, I don't, I have a nose. I don't know what I want to do, but I, I, definitely know I'm lucky. And then, and then I like, this is another story that I never get to tell, which is just like, like how can life get any worse than there's a dog and I'm in this train station there and there's a lot of people and you just hear this screaming animal. And I'm like, what is that? And finally I see it. And it's this dog walking around the, 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 the train station and all the Indian people are kicking it to get it away from them because it's, it's a female and she's, She's all bloodied on the side of her body. And I started to cry. And I'm like, oh, that poor dog. How could life get any worse? And then a male dog came along and tried to mount her. 
and continually tried to mount her until I had to get on the train and leave that. So it was a love story. It's it like, ended beautifully. It's like your life is horrible and it just got fucking worse. Like, that, is, that is kind of, I feel like even if a girl's down and out, there's still some guy who's trying to, to hump fuck you. you. On that fucking bloody, limp leg, you are going to get mounted and fucked. Yeah, no matter how bad things get as a woman, there's a guy who's there's just like worse. slowly behind you going, yeah, I'll fuck you. Yeah, it was, I mean, things like that. You're just like, okay, I, I'm going to try. And I got home and I, I still didn't know I wanted to do comedy. I love comedy. I used to go see stand-up all the time. I mean, I was a huge fan. But, you know, growing up in, in, in the world of comedy, even still now, there aren't that many women that do stand-up and there aren't that many that do it well. And and there aren't that many women in, in my demographic. There's You can name them on two less than two hands of the headliners that are strong. And, and that's a shame. Like, when I... First started, you know, even now I would say, what would you guess the percentage? I just randomly of of female headliners to male headliners that are working today. I mean, yeah, it's I low. Know, maybe five, if that five percent women. Maybe, maybe, yeah. And then women get a bad rap in comedy because you're like, oh, well, there women just aren't funny. Well, you've got a lot of unfunny guys, but if you have ninety five percent of the of them are guys, that the is bad true. ones tend to rinse away. <laughs> but, but the bad female ones really stand out. Yeah. And so. Um, uh, yeah, I mean that's a great point. I, I never, I never uh, factored that into the ratio. Where yes, you're right because it is only five percent. So what, if you see two unfunny women back to back, then you might not see a woman for a while, and right. you're like, oh man. When really, realistically, the percentage is probably similar, or or whatever. But the idea is, yeah. And then take the number of women that are in that five percent and make them, you know. Large black women, lesbians, older. You're, you know, you're all and now three, you're down to like <laughs> three women that that match my demographics that are you know of any given era, like in every in any five to ten year window that are working that are actually like really awesome. And I mean it's it's tough. It's tough to say. So I never it never crossed my mind, which is really sad. So if there's young women out there listening, you've got to just do it. Like, but it, it's a lot. Like when we open up the whole conversation, we're talking about having kids. That's hard too because you're. Your womb will shut down, and I know some women who want babies so bad right now. I That's so a I'm doing a bit about it, it right Your now. Your womb will shut down, ladies. Yeah, I know some women right now. That well, that, like, that's the thing. As a female comedian, I I feel like you said uh, having kids. You kind of have to slow things down a little bit, and especially if you don't have the luxury of being able to take time off or spend right. time with your kids. It's like this window that never gets. By the time they're later on and they can't have kids, and oh right. man, I miss and they my window. they found a little professional success or financial security, then they're not able to do it. Yeah, anymore. or they or yeah. they feel like, oh, okay, I'm getting some momentum. I don't want to break this momentum by having right. kids. So even if things are going well, you're like, oh, I don't want to break this momentum. And if things aren't going well, you're like, oh, I can't bring a kid in. See, I had the good fortune early on to get to see a couple of people, in particular Phyllis Dillard. Oh, wow. I, she was amazing. I watched her at this event glide on stage. She must have been 80 years old. She just was like, I'm watching her walk on stage changed my perspective on comedy because she just was so amazing. And it occurred to me right then that I will be, if I'm as lucky as she is, 80 years old and I will glide on stage. And the fact that I took off year, a few years of my life and earlier on in my professional life and had children... I don't think it affects me being a comedian throughout the rest of my life. I, I, and I know that we live in a um, 
youth-based town and like it seems to me like the industry doesn't really understand that funny is funny no matter what age and you know we worship people who are older and still in our business and yeah there eventually is a, it comes yeah there is a uh, a certain point of just respect of hey you've hung in there long enough you've you've been through the battles yeah and then it is uh you get guys like Don Rickles who just all of a sudden it, it, Don Rickles, you know, classic ball buster. But then at a certain age, he just hits like eighty, and then he just becomes <laughs> he like he still kind of does the ball buster. But he's also just really nice to everyone, just like happy to be there. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, he gets applauded by everyone. I just think well respected comic as he should be. I just think in our in our world of comedy, there's there's no end to what you can do or or any expiration to that but there is an expiration to the like certain things in your life that you can do in your life and that is so- true and comedy fortunately i mean yeah obviously there is youth based culture in los angeles and in entertainment in general but i mean it's comedy is a lot better than acting or, or music or stuff like that where you, okay you're 18 to 25 you didn't kind of make it as an actor or a musician okay then the deck's really stacked against you where comedy almost it, you get better as you get older and people want to hear if you're going to watch someone do comedy they almost want to hear someone with a more seasoned point of view or a person who has seen the world more or has more stories and stuff like that yeah you know i i actually you see sometimes you'll see a comic and i feel so nervous for them who's only been doing stand-up a few years and i say a few years less than nine or right around nine, and they pop something, and my my stomach just kind of turns because you see them and you're like, this is gonna hurt them in the long run, and because they haven't had the time to really get. What do you mean they pop something? They'll get something. They'll get oh, like okay. an opportunity on television, or they'll get a, a sitcom opportunity or something, and then it just, you know, you see it because you've seen it happen before where it just they got super hot. And then if it doesn't work, which it probably won't because you don't have the experience and the time in, then like Ralphie's a perfect example of it because Ralph, sure. when he was on Last Comic Standing, he was a seasoned comic. And when he came in second to, to Dat Fan, who was an open micer essentially. <laughs> and that, know, was a, that was a hilarious year of comedy or, or just that was a hilarious show. Like I remember, I think when that was going on was when I was first getting really serious about wanting to do comedy and pursue oh, comedy. Cool. And I was like, wow, look at these guys. They're just living in a house in LA <laughs> doing it. I'm like, man, I should just go for it. And then you see dad fan. You're like, Oh, that's confusing. I don't understand why you Dad. Don't understand fan- how he won? I and I don't. Think I mean, he is just he's just a super likable guy. And well, I don't think he actually really won. That's the thing. Like, I think it. I. I mean, yeah. In any all sort these of years, any sort of like voting thing or no, reality show, you take it with a grain of salt. Of course, but, but it hurts. You know, Dad. Maybe if left alone, and he still works and he's funny and he still does things. But if, maybe if left alone, he would have peaked a different way. Yeah, he would have come up with um, a formula that works instead of had the he formula. Was thrown in it. Yeah, and and who could blame him? He was an open mic guy who got a chance to be on network TV. Why would you right. not take that opportunity? And, and he got a chance now to be a headliner in venues across the country. And and now I know I I know he still works, and I I've seen him around, and and he's still a sweet guy. But you're like you know I. He's not doing what Ralphie's doing because Ralphie had got the TV exposure and had the goods to deliver. And that's, that's what really made me think about a lot of things and just in life when you, you're, you're a comedian and you have a life and things to do. So, um, yeah, I'm, I've been very blessed, but. Okay. So, uh- 
Just real quick, you so there was never any kind of crazy impulse. You just said, "Hey, I'm going to come back. I'm back After to traveling, Houston from traveling." I still was in the media. I came back from traveling, and I thought, "Well, maybe I'll try my hand at like, um, like video, like news, uh, not not newspaper, but like you know." So I got an, another internship at a at a TV network doing which was which was really good because that gave me an education on, on how to produce TV and edit and do things like that. I did that for a year and during that year I started playing songs. I got built up my courage and started going out and singing songs. And I I I'd break up my non comedy music with a comedy song. And then people would be like, more comedy songs. So then I started playing more of these like funny songs and they were inappropriate for coffee shops, but people liked them and and then somebody one time said, Why don't you go to the laugh stop? There's an open mic on Monday and that's what changed my life. I walked in there Blew it up. I had an amazing first time, and I met Ralphie that night, and we became friends instantly. And then um, I got paid, like, really soon after, within a couple of months. Like, it was crazy. And as soon as I got paid, it was like, I can do this. I, I can. Game on. Yeah. And uh, and then I, the rest is history. I, that's a long story to get to how I got into comedy. <laughs> but I love... I love comedy more than anything. It's so much fun. I shouldn't say more than anything. As now I have kids, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, Mom. Mom, you love me more than your songs about guys' dicks? Come yeah, on. Come on, really? Now you do- yes, I do. <laughs> you do kind of dirty songs. Are you... Are you worried, like, oh, hey, the kids are going to find this? What's your What's your <laughs> thought on that? They're not all dirty, but... Um, sure. I don't, I don't know. Some. It's funny. I think that they know... My, they are at an age now where they sing songs about poop all the time oh okay like my son will run around and be like poop 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 poop, poop. and so I, they're just like they're really really irreverent and they cause a lot of problems and ralphie and i were talking about it today it's like you take two parents who kind of have a i don't give a fuck attitude <laughs> and you can't and don't fuck with me and then you birth a child and it'd be one thing <laughs> if he had that attitude and i didn't but we both have it and those kids they don't. They don't give a fuck. They're just yeah. like they're up for the party. They are here to have fun. <laughs> Down to party. Yeah. They yeah. Give me some of that blow, mom. Right, I'm, I'm here to. I'm here man, to party. If you ever hang out with a with a two and a four year old, they, <laughs> they look like they're on blow. <laughs> they're fucking energized. <laughs> Runny nose, running around the place. I That's can see right. That. They're good. All right. Do you want to? You want to try and do a song, Lana Turner? Um, you got a CD here. If these lips could talk, and you're gonna play a song, board member. That's right. This song is um, was written about all the scandal with politicians, you know, that happen like all the time. Whenever you see somebody in the news about, you know, they're like, like, I hate faggots. Fuck you, faggot. You should die, <laughs> faggot. Fuck you. Classic. Uh, you know, they're sucking dick, right? Yeah. And they're like, ah. Oh. And then they're apologizing, like, I prayed to Jesus. Yeah, they yeah. Uh, yeah, typically with that kind of stuff, whenever, I mean, yeah, the same thing with, who was it, the... Um, New York uh, governor attorneys or uh, district attorney. Oh, Jesus. The, uh, yeah. Elliot Spitzer. Yeah. I was totally blanking. Elliot Spitzer had this whole crusade against prostitutes. Of right. course, who's the guy that's going to get caught with prostitutes? It's Elliot Spitzer. That's right. Those guys are so – and like um, – well, even even our governor or, you know, Arnold. Yeah, exactly. Got, caught banging his maid, <laughs> yeah, was, which was, cracks me up. Really? That was hilarious on a lot of levels. One being, um, yeah, I mean, he could have any woman he wants. But like we said earlier. All right, so we got it good. We're ready to go. Buddy, your dog just licked my guitar. I think it's good luck. Exactly. All right, let's uh, let's hear a cut off a board member. He goes to work. 
Wears his suit and tie after a few hours behind the desk. He feels he's gonna die. Watches the clock tick away. He's got an image to sustain. He'd be a huge embarrassment if they knew it was on his brain. He's a board member with a board member, the very person that he has to scorn. He's a board member with a board member. Oh, it just takes so much to get him excited anymore. Being a member of the board, it comes with certain status. But to get him going, you must use cock rings, butt plugs, strap-ons, Ben Wong balls, huge vibrators, and other apparatus. If they caught him in drag, his associations would be lost. He'd be a huge embarrassment. You know, much like getting his salad tossed. What's he to do with his board member? He's a board member, a hypocrite in Congress with. Too much power. He's a board member. No longer be a board member if they knew he's into hot carols and jelly donuts, Cleveland steamer and the rusty trombone, German porn, dirty Sanchez donkey punch, midgets, BJ's in bathrooms, texting pages, and golden showers. He's a board member with a board member. All right, nice job, <laughs> funny, very, uh, very good guitar playing. Board member. All right, Thank appreciate you. that. That was cool. Um, yeah, good times. Do you? Uh, I wouldn't mind uh, hitting on some of the news here, real quick. Or do you? You got another one you want to do? What sure, do you? you what do you feel? Um, let's do. I don't know. This might be. This is. Um, I, I. I. You know, as a comic, you get to play benefits and stuff. Sometimes, sure. like I've gotten to do four tours overseas for the U.S. military. Which oh wow, I bet they love uh, stuff like this. They did. It was fun. I'd love to do it again too. Any. T- I mean, it's just a huge honor. But one night, I did a an event for um, a guy who got injured and I, I'm I, sometimes I think I'm a terrible person because of the, like what you're you know you just realize like you think things I think everybody thinks the same shit but anyways this was a song that I wrote for this guy for this particular benefit so okay Larry was a hellraiser he liked to drive real fast one day his head hit the pavement and that ride it was his last after nine months in a coma he woke up a different man no he'll never ever be quite the same again because he's head injury larry his head is really big head injury larry head injury larry he'll never be the same no he really is a much sweeter guy some water on his brain <laughs> now, when you when you do a song like that at the guy's benefit show, what's the what's the response? I didn't do it at the benefit. Oh, I wrote okay. it about the benefit. Oh, all right. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I like, sorry, I missed that part. I'm trying like, to think if I ever did something that wrong in the moment. I don't, I'm sure I have, but no. I mean, I wrote that afterwards because it was to raise money for the guy who had fallen off his motorcycle. It was the sweetest guy you ever <laughs> want to meet, but he was like a total burly biker. Like all his burly badass biker friends came out to support, and he was just like, "Oh, Mary!" <laughs> <laughs> he was so happy. I loved him. You know, yeah. 
No, he okay. it sounds like a nice guy. Hey, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what are you gonna do? You gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta have fun with life. That's right. Speaking of that, um, this is in the news. I, I don't know. You said you're not a, you're not a big news uh, a oh, junkie. I just, but when you have kids, you don't have time to like watch TV most of the time. But I love the news. I love all right, it. here you go. This is a little uh, pop culture stuff. I don't know if you heard about this, but uh, okay. here we go. Earl Travolta is fighting oh, yeah. back against a lawsuit filed by a masseur who will only identify himself as John Doe. The plaintiff is claiming the actor tried to have sex with him after he was hired to give Travolta a massage. He goes on to allege the star touched him inappropriately. According to the lawsuit, John said he got where he is now due to sexual favors he had performed when he was in his welcome back Cotter days. <laughs> the docs claim the celeb apologized for his behavior but continued to pursue the man. The plaintiff is asking for $2 million in damages and court costs. Travolta's rep tells E, this lawsuit is complete fiction and fabrication. He goes on to explain that John was not even in California at the time the masseur says the events took place. That is, uh, that's pure comedy for a lot of reasons. First off, I, I, I kind of doubt this guy's story because what, what John Travolta is not dying to mention that he was in Welcome Back, Cotter. I feel like he's probably moved past for that. He's not trying to crowbar that in like, oh, hey, kid, you want to be in a... Welcome Back. <laughs> you want to be in Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I, I mean, I, the, the, that whole, like... Scientology and all that. Like, you always hear crazy shit coming out of there. Like, what? always. So it doesn't... Sh- and who cares either? I mean, if he is gay and he does want favors from... I mean, I who cares? Like, good... I, would you be shocked if the guy who could shake his ass in Greece liked a blowjob <laughs> from a guy every now and then? I mean... Well, yeah, and here's, here's the thing. Also... Th- I mean, you want to talk about asking for it? Normally, I'm not a guy. Oh, they were asking for it. But if you're a guy who's meeting up random people for massages off of Craigslist or wherever house he got this gig, and someone says, "Hey, I want to, I want to." Was that how s- he got the the massage therapist? Was, I, was I think like I think he got it online or something. I, I like could John be- Travolta posted, like re- goes online and gets the. I, I would. I don't know. I don't know the whole story, but I imagine. Mm. I imagine if. Put it this way. If you're paying $200 for a massage, I, I feel like it's implied that it's going to be a little bit more than a massage. I mean, 200 bucks for a massage is a lot. And you want to talk about discrimination. I mean, straight guys can go to any of these massage places and, you know, get, get, get worked over by some Thai lady for much less than $200. <laughs> so you want to talk about discrimination. A gay guy, if I'm John Travolta, I'm like, listen, I'm a multimillionaire. I should be able to get a hand job for $200 in this town. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I, I'd imagine that anybody who goes anywhere near John Travolta has to sign some kind of non-disclosure <laughs> agreement, right? That's what that that's that whole thing over there with Scientology. Like they don't let anyone in. So if some freaky shit goes down, like, and I, he wasn't even in California. He's got like a lot of people that could. Yeah, he's got some sort of alibi. And then right, right after that happened, another guy sued him for the exact same thing, also for two million dollars. I mean, let's be honest. If if John Travolta forced himself on this guy and actually committed a sex act, okay, then we can start talking $2 million. But it, 
I'm sure you've had someone go up to you and go, hey, uh, Lana, maybe they're not that forward, but hey, you, you want to jerk me off or you want to have some sex? <laughs> Every day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I... Um, Husband excluded, but it's pretty easy to just go, well, why no Why would thanks. you sue John Travolta for $2 million? Because he's got $2 million. Right, exactly. He's just trying to bribe him to tell him to shut up, right? Yeah, I'll some stop sort of, talking about the blowjob if you just... Some sort of blackmail thing or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's a crazy world we live in that guys are just literally trying trying to make millions of dollars off of just the idea like what happened to being embarrassed about stuff like that like even if you're the guy suing isn't that embarrassing like if let's say this actually happened wouldn't you just go wow that's weird i'm never going to random people's places to do massages like that i'm sure that happens all the time to this guy but finally it was like john travolta oh hey i'll i'll give it a try i think i think i have a hunch that it's this guy heard all these rumors about John Travolta, or you always hear these kind of crazy stories come out of, oh my God, you know what these do? they do? And I mean, John Travolta, it sounds like he's a he's a gay guy from the rumors, but you you hear like all kind of wild stories, and especially the Scientology, so just amps it up. And someone crazy guy hears this and it's like, oh wow, this is my time to strike. I'm gonna strike when the iron's hot. I'm gonna try to get him to pay me off. So I just nice. think there's there's so much. A gay closet in Hollywood. Like, there's a lot, there's been a lot of people come out, you know, and they're celebrated because it is a really hard thing to do to, and not saying that John Travolta is gay or anything, but like, I, I just wish if he were that he'd just be like, you know what, we have an alternative lifestyle. I have a wife, I have kids, and occasionally I like to go to my dick. So I was like, she knows <laughs> it. She's in on it. She, seems- she likes the private airplanes and she doesn't mind. And you know what? Like, I, I've actually started working on a song. It's called, Can Someone Please Blow My Man? Cause you've been with a guy for long enough and sometimes you're Tell tired. Tell me, girlfriend. So there you go. <laughs> so who knows what goes on between people, you know, in closed doors. But I just wish that, you know, John Travolta has been a successful guy for a long time. So if he is, in fact, gay, it's kind of gross that whatever the massage therapist thing but if he is then just own it you know and be like yeah. then i mean who's he who's he worried about if john travolta came out and said he was gay right now what would it hurt i feel like i feel like the world would be pretty accepting of it who would I, care no one would care they roll the, the next day what but now yeah yeah i, I don't people I don't like it re- because there is some sort of element of well probably maybe there's something there right yeah. maybe there's a little, a little shenanigans going on yeah so now you're a mom and i don't know if you um you keep up with these kind of news stuff. Obviously, your kids are too early for any of this kind of stuff, but um, this came out on the news, a new way of uh, kids getting wasted. This is supposed to clean up our lives, but it's becoming a dirty and dangerous little household secret, and it's sending teens to the hospital. Kids getting hammered off hand sanitizers. <laughs> They're separating the alcohol through a distillation process. And creating a potent punch that's like slamming a shot of the hardest liquor. They're simply taking table salt, mixing it with the hand gels, and subsequently then putting it in a filter. And the liquid that's produced is a very high content alcohol. I know there's some there's some chemistry teacher that's just enraged. Wait, that's guys, you're using chemistry, but not for the right things. Man, what you know? It's always something. Like when we were kids, it's something. Like people want to get kids want to get drunk. Yeah, kids want to get drunk. Kids want to get high. But 
it's hilarious to think that when the government was putting together the internet as like a way to get different regions of the military to be able to communicate to each other and universities, that eventually would just lead to kids figuring out how to turn hand size. That's kind of taste like shit. You got to really want to get wasted. Yeah. At that point, good. you know, like you just tell your kid, dude. You want to get drunk? Like, let, let's let you experience that. Like, what age? I don't know. My my mom was really good about that, actually, to her credit. Like, when I was little, she, you know, like high school age, little, she was like, you know what? If you ever want to do anything, like, you want to smoke pot, you want to drink alcohol, <laughs> like, no, no hard drugs, you want to do math, but you know, just do it in the house. She goes, and if you, you want to get drunk with some of your girlfriends. I'll make sure the other moms are aware. I'll, I'll supply you the liquor. She goes, it's not the liquor that's the problem. It's the the driving or being with the with the people that you don't want to be with. And exactly. then same thing with with sex. She was so great about like it took the it took the fun out of it. You know what I'm saying? It <laughs> that's probably a good strategy as a parent. Like, hey, you guys want to get high? Let's get high. Yeah, Hang you're up. like, God, no, that's fucking horrible. But yeah, she was she was really cool about. It. She's like, if you and I think I don't. I don't think she would have been happy if I'd have said, yeah, mom, go buy me a bottle of booze. Let's do it. But she took the, she took the kind of naughtiness out of it. And she also said, like, if you ever do get drunk or have an, a drink at a party, just call me. I'd be more angry at you for doing anything stupid around that than, yeah. and so like, and I sex, feel, I also feel like parents say that. Actually, my parents never said that. Their policy was don't drink in the house. Don't, don't smoke weed. Don't do any of that. And then, yeah, just we get really angry when it happened. <laughs> and their idea, you know, and it makes sense to a certain degree because I know parents who did, who did kind of endorse the kid's behavior of like, hey, if you're going to get drunk and high, just do it in the house. And then it becomes this tacit thing of like, yeah, getting drunk and getting high is okay. And then, yeah, that's what they're doing in high school. But then it kind of Wouldn't you rather your kid just get like a nicer liquor from you than try and get hand sanitizer? Exactly. <laughs> if I found my kid drinking hand sanitizer, I'd be like, look, we have a nice – Glenn Livet Scotch here. You're gonna drink some of that. Yeah. And you're gonna enjoy yourself. This is you're you're an Irish man. Well, you're an Irish sixteen year old kid. You're gonna learn how to enjoy a nice scotch whiskey. Here's Actually, how you do I it. think you get them like super, super wasted on real liquor, but super wasted to where they feel hungover the next day, like a yeah. nasty hangover. And then you just yell at them, get up. <laughs> my, yeah, that didn't that didn't work for me. The first time we drank at my house. Me and my buddy split like a case of old Milwaukee. I'll never forget <laughs> it. And I was like, Oh my God, the room's spinning. The room's spinning. And I was like, I have to throw up. And I, and I remember vividly in my head going, I don't have to throw up because I'm too drunk. I have to throw up because the room's spinning out of control and I'm getting nauseous. Uh, and I'm throwing up. My mom comes down. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, uh, I got food poisoning. She's like, bullshit. It smells like a brewery in there. Aww, but that's um, hilarious. it was fun. Well, like my, my mom was clever because like she bought this book of um, – nasty like those photos of stds like the super up close ones. oh man <laughs> like the one with the crab like hanging on to the hair like ooh, you know and as a as a kid she just sort of put it on the table like she never mentioned it or anything and so of course like kids are going to look at that and it terrified me like <laughs> i just thought that i think that's brilliant yeah i mean my parents didn't have to do anything to deter me from being sexually active i was just uh you just you had know, a hard time getting laid yeah exactly yeah. i was just being myself and it didn't <laughs> work out in high school 
But, uh, well, Lana, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Looks like we're kind of uh, hitting the wall here time-wise. Oh. But um, make sure uh, throw out your dates. Where where can people come check you out? Oh, what do we say? I'm going to be in Phoenix. Oh, yeah. What was uh, the... Plug the Phoenix show. Yeah, June 13th. June you said 13th, you're gonna be... I'll be in Phoenix, Arizona. I have tons of dates all the time. I'm always going all over the country. Um, and I'd love for you guys to come out. And uh, you can always check my website, lanaturner.com. It's L-A-H-N-A-T-U-R-N-E-R.com. Sign up for Twitter because I'm pretty active on that, letting people know where I'm at. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, Lana Turner. If these lips could talk, appreciate it. And uh, thank you guys, everyone, for turning in the green room. Uh, real quick, couple plugs. I'll be in uh, San Diego, May 15th, San Jose, May 16th and the Comedy Garage. May 18th at Rafa's Lounge. You can get all those dates and archive episodes of The Green Room at shantygreen.com. Thank you for tuning in. And he would hand out money and advice to her often. She liked him. 